Yeah. Sorry, classic uh, developer going into the details way too fast. The community, I would say, was excited about the coin going up in 2021, but the community really stayed around for the promise of what could be built and how the network could be used. And then I did this hackathon in May 2021. I was like, wow, like this tech is really good. Like you have magical moments where you send transactions through um, and it just doesn't really feel like a blockchain. Blockchain's a new type of technology, but like all the game theory about market makers and form flow on informed flow, like that stuff doesn't change. I think you guys are on a kind of a new paradigm of what is possible. We're live. We're live. Thanks, Chris. Thank <laughs> you for having me. We're uh, having the podcast in person, which is great. Been a while since I've done an in-person podcast, but uh, they're much more fun. I, I think they're much better than Zoom podcasts or Riverside. Just a different vibe. Yeah. They take more time to coordinate, though. Yeah, sometimes you got to, like, find batteries for mics and <laughs> <laughs> scramble around, but you get it done. You get it done. Kind of like a startup. <laughs> yeah, it's like a startup. You make it happen. <laughs> but, no, uh, super excited to be doing this. Uh, you're one of the lead engineers of Drift Protocol. Uh, you've been a Solana OG, though. You've been a, involved in the ecosystem for some time uh, through the ups, the downs, and everything that's been going on with the market. So maybe just starting out, how do you feel like, I mean, the state of the market is, how is like the Solana ecosystem today in your point of view? That's a good question. Um, I think, uh, yeah, so I started in the middle of 2021, which was when like, uh, it was Seoul's first bull market and there was a ton of excitement. Uh, but interestingly, I feel like the tech was just like in a very nascent form. Um, so using it, especially on mainnet was like it was rough around the edges i think if you go to use it now it's way 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 better so very few transactions get dropped usually have uh way less issues just interacting with the chain so i would say the tech is way better you were class of or the summer class of 2020 weren't you yeah i started in crypto 2020 and then started like solana full-time 2021 okay Interesting. So you, you were in the beginning of the bull market and kind of got to see the ups and downs throughout the network. How would you compare like the sentiment from like, I mean, obviously a lot has happened, but like 2021 uh, to today? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's pretty crazy because uh, in 2021, there's a lot of FOMO and you feel like you need to build super fast or you're going to be left behind, which and then you see a lot of teams like racing to market, which is natural but also i think uh forces teams to you know cut a lot of things and maybe sacrifice on certain parts of their product um and also like solana was also in its nascent stage so you go on twitter and everyone's like oh this is like the future of france and then you're using it in practice and it's like it's leaving something to be desired um and then markets are you know predictably irrational so like there's this huge bubble um, and at the top, you're like, does, like, you're like, this doesn't make sense. But then you're looking around and everyone's like, this is, this makes sense. And you're like, I guess, okay. <laughs> and then, um, then there's just this like, you know, huge, uh, fall off and it like really challenges your conviction. Um, but then I guess you just come back to the fact, like in the bear market, like, is the tech getting better? Are the products getting better? Like, do you actually, if you didn't know anything about prices, do you see some progression? And I think that's kind of what um, just like the Drift contributors have been focused on, just seeing how much better like the Solana network has gotten, how much better the Drift product has gotten and like across Solana, how yeah. much better the products have gotten. Uh, yeah, it is remarkable just looking at the community 
even the community being able to articulate or kind of uh, fight against the FUD has grown remarkably. I mean, the community, I would say, was excited about the coin going up in 2021, but the community really stayed around for the promise of what could be built and how the network could be used. But maybe going back to your point, I mean, you said Solana was kind of rough around the edges in 2021 uh, when you first started building. Can you talk about, I mean, first off, why you chose Solana architecture instead of kind of the infinite other L1s architectures that you could have built on Pond? Yeah, so I was definitely late to the game, like becoming smart contract developer in 2021. So I was trying to learn Solidity and whatnot, and um, it just wasn't very like fun to develop on, just because it was kind of tough, like being expensive and slow. Um, and I was on a sabbatical of sorts, and I did the 2021 Solana Hackathon. And I was like, oh, it's actually funny. I, I had coworkers at Amazon that talked about Rust. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to read the Rust book, learn Rust. And then, like, the hackathon sucks. Like, at least I know Rust, and I can brag about it to my friends. And then I did this hackathon in May 2021. And I was like, wow, like, this tech is really good. Like, you have magical moments where you send transactions through, um, and it just doesn't really feel like a blockchain. Um, and then in addition to that, like the whole community on Twitter was really fun to engage with. Like, uh, and I was like, okay, this, 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 is, uh, this is great. Like I want to build here. So it was definitely a combination of feeling like the tech had promise. Like it was like a 10x improvement. And then the community was like a, a social layer that I enjoyed a bunch. Yeah. The, I mean, hitting the send button or like initiating a token transfer and it pretty much happening or confirming like instantaneously it's like a hundred x improvement from using ethereum and you're like all right and then you wait <laughs> and then you're like okay please go through <laughs> and so it is it a night and day difference just from the user perspective and i i can't Im imagine the engineering side as well yeah so i think um one of the things you learn with uh as you're designing like uh, kind of smart contracts and protocols on top of Solana is the fact that the fees are so cheap and the block times are fast, it kind of opens up a design space on what you can do off chain. Um, so DeFi protocols typically have like keeper networks or off chain dependencies, like your most common one being a liquidator, where it has to monitor what's going on in chain and potentially take actions to like keep the protocol in a healthy state. Um, and basically by driving down the cost and the block times, like what you can do with your keeper network is way big. Um, so Drift really just took this idea and like kind of maxed it out where uh, we have keeper bots that are permissionless doing all sorts of things for our exchange. And like we think fundamentally like that's why uh, it's going to end up being great experience for users. So um, like I can dive into that more. But I think the fact like it's the there's the UX side where people get, you know, um, fast transactions, cheap fees. And then there's like the dev side where, yeah, you get this larger design space, which just like is... Uh, you know, it's a, a different canvas for you to work on of sorts. 100%. I mean, at Frictionless, our entire thesis is like high throughput blockchains ultimately enable new applications that are just not possible on low throughput. I mean, it's kind of comical, like you look back to DeFi that kind of built the industry, uh, all respect to them. Yeah, they were de really designed for an architecture that was limited to 10 to 12 transactions per second. Uh, and that constraint really forces you to do some innovative things like creating AMMs, but it doesn't allow you to do things such as order books or kind of these faster, uh, liquidities. 
And so at very like fractions of a penny too. And so it it is interesting. I, I think you guys are on a kind of a new paradigm of what is possible and would love to kind of dive into it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess how Drift works is it's very auction-based and event-based. And I think the thing about event-based is... Uh, Can you tell people just maybe that are not familiar with you or your work and also Drift, just a high-level architecture overview of what Drift is and before like diving into the tech? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, classic uh, developer going into the details way too fast. Um, yeah, Drift is a uh, margin trading and derivatives trading protocol. Um, so decentralized, permissionless, um, with the goal of providing a like, fast, seamless trading experience for your active trader and then also um, providing like compelling passive strategies for your more like uh, mid to low frequency type investor. Um, and uh, I guess Drift has a lot of unique things about it, but I think the biggest thing is that um, basically it's very event-based. Um, in TradFi, it's not like you just have an order book or an AMM. Actually, there's this whole like larger holistic system that goes for getting users a trade. Um, so part of that in TradFi, you hear about payment for order flow, where like if you're on Robinhood, you submit an order, and actually your order gets uh, you know routed to um, a market maker, and they actually pay to fill you. And there's a, it's not like your trade is hitting a club, right? Um, and for that to all work, you kind of uh, you need things to be more event-based, be faster, et cetera. So one way to frame Drift is it's a decentralized payment for order flow protocol um, on top of like your standard AMM and cloud. Um, and we're, I guess this is very like in the DeFi pro protocol type meta, but it's like, how can you make it sustainable for market makers um, to market make on-chain? It's actually a really hard problem. Um, like without token emissions, um, LPs, like aren't doing great. And there's like all this work to figure out, okay, how can we make this sustainable on chain? So Drift is taking this event-based uh, payment for order flow model and uh, we think it could be like a winner. I think, I mean, it's interesting. Really the entire TradFi world is centered around kind of order books, being able to, uh, and teams have gotten really, really good at market making. I mean, they're really professionals in kind of the market making sense. And I think because of the limitations of the blockchain and the blockchain architecture, we really had to innovate and do some of these new things around AMMs. But now you're kind of trying to reinvent the wheel and learn how to be like an LP. Is it profitable? Is it not profitable? And that gets into like a whole nother can of worms where if you can go back and actually do like the order book on chain, you have the high throughput, uh, even like payment for order flow. Those are things that the TradFi really world knows that again can be brought on a blockchain. And it's just kind of a unique uh, combination of uh, the technology has kind of gotten to the point where it's good enough that you can build this type of stuff that you're doing with Drift. Uh, and the TradFi world also understands. So a lot of cool possibilities to come. Yeah, definitely. It's like blockchain's a new type of technology, but like all the game theory about market makers, informed flow, uninformed flow, like that stuff doesn't change. And like it doesn't, like you need to respect kind of those rules of economics uh, if you're going to build a sustainable system. Doesn't matter, like just because you're in a slow, um, kind of like uh, high latency environment, like uh, you can't get around that. Yeah. So 
Uh, getting like a little bit deeper into drift on like the technical archi architecture side, you mentioned a couple things, keepers, uh, et cetera. Could you dive a little bit deeper in how you're kind of building uh, the technology stack on a blockchain? Yeah, I guess. So first to start with like a traditional model, like an AMM or club, you're a user and you want to make a trade, uh, you know, using a UI or like a SDK, you send a trade through to the blockchain, you take some liquidity, whether it's an ARMM or CLOB like Orca or Phoenix, you get your trade and then you're done. Um, and so really what's going going on here is like the, the market maker, the LP, puts their liquidity on chain, it's resting, and then the taker comes second and they take from it. Um, the goal of Drift and something like a RFQ request for quote or um, a payment for order flow model is actually you have the taker go first. The taker says, hey, I want to buy something or sell something. And then market makers come in and they're like, oh, yeah, I'll, I can provide that for you. Um, and so you kind of invert the, the sequencing there. Um, so the whole idea around drift is um, whether you're trading uh, derivatives or spot, the taker is going to come in. They're going to submit an order saying, like, I want to buy soul. I want to sell soul perp. These, this is the price I'm willing to accept um, over this time range. And that gets queued up on chain. Once it's queued up on chain, market makers can race to um, fill that order um, or keepers or fillers can basically uh, see that order and go and find um, resting liquidity to fill it with, whether that is Phoenix or OpenBook for spot or the Drift um, AMM for perps. And uh, like that's kind of how our order system works. Um, and, you know, when I'm talking about like the order, the market, the ticker order getting queued up, it's all event based. Like, uh, you know, you as a trader, you put your order on chain, it's been 400 milliseconds. All the market makers on like are listening, waiting to, to bid on it. All the fillers are waiting to um, pick it up and try to route it to whatever uh, liquidity sources it can. And so it's very fast um, and all event based. And uh, what is the benefit of inverting it and having the taker go first, then having uh, the LP kind of put it the liquidity on chain? Yeah, so I guess from the LP and the market maker's perspective, you want to provide liquidity to uninformed flow, someone who doesn't have an opinion on where the price is going. And uh, you don't want to provide liquidity to like toxic flow or informed flow. Um, and it's all about like the size of the spread or what, like how much fees you have to charge are all based on the distribution between toxic and um, untoxic flow. So uh, by basically making the taker go first, the market maker can actually see like, oh, is this just a normal user or is this like an arbitrager who knows something? And so they actually have more time to be confident like, oh, I can actually give you a good deal. I can trust you. You don't know something that I don't know. Um, and so by making the taker go first, basically you uh, invert like the information asymmetry and makers can actually give uh, takers better prices. Um, and so it's kind of like, there's, there's different parties involved in DeFi. There's your like average retail user who just, you know, wants to enter a position. Um, there's a market maker who wants to provide liquidity. And then there's these sophisticated arbitragers who think they have some edge on where the price is going. And they're looking to basically pick off like MM. Um, and so the goal of Drift is to get the retail user, the, the, your average trader and your market maker to have a great symbiosis and like, be able to play sustainable games with each other while minimizing the value that's extracted by the arbitrager. Um, and basically, like all this AMM, CLOB design 
is like trying to figure out how those three parties, like how does the value get split up between them? Um, and so Uniswap, I guess actually, I'm just riffing. There is like the fourth party, which is the the miner, like an MEV. Mm-hmm. So also with L, like with the take, like if you're a retail trader and you just submit an order and it's like just a raw swap on AMM, like obviously like a miner on Ethereum or validator on Ethereum can uh, like manipulate your order and get you a really bad price. So it's all about like trying to give like, well, I guess it depends who you want to preference, but in Drift, it's like we want the market maker and your average trader to ext- like get most of the value, not leak to the validator or to the arbitrager. Interesting. I mean, still early, so I don't know exactly how it works, but this is the idea behind Uniswap Act that just came out this week. So actually it was very, um, it was a little bit validating because obviously Uniswap's like big brand, prestigious. Like their design is very similar to how Drift works, where uh, in Uniswap X, you don't just like send an order and hit the AMM. Now you're going to like have an order queued up off chain, go through an RFQ process, which is like um, request for quote where you, it's like the taker goes first. Um, and then like market makers can fill it. And the reason they're doing that is basically like to reduce the MEV capture uh, that you get on like an AMM. And so they're, they're trying to kind of simulate what a market maker would, is trying to do uh, on kind of a lower throughput chain. And you guys are actually working with both sides and can enable the market making because of the high throughput chain? Yeah, I, I think it's, like, I don't know if it's live yet or what the state of it is, but it sounds like, yeah, like they have users sign gasless transactions and kind of have to route that transaction around off chain because uh, to do the auction and the RFQ quickly enough, like you can't do it at, at the block speed of ETH. Yep. So they actually have to do this RFQ process off chain. Where for Drift, we actually have users queue their order on chain and the block times are so short, you can do the Dutch auction all on chain. Um, which is nice because then it's like more transparent, more permissionless, et cetera. Um, but it's interesting seeing Uniswap that's like, you know, uh, led the way in AMM design, kind of being like, yeah, you need some type of event-based uh, like auction system to make it more sustainable for uh, like users and market makers just because like, uh, yeah, users get, uh, get pretty hurt in MEV on Ethereum. Yeah. Like there's so much value extracted, so. Do you feel like, I mean... We could take this a lot of ways. Uh, I, I talked with the founder of Dflow on kind of how they're doing, is trying to mitigate the toxic order flow. Uh, but also, I mean, I feel like we could go down the rabbit hole of like AMMs versus order books. Uh, is there any particular way that you kind of want to take it? Um, I think the, I guess the toxic flow one applies to both. So if you're market making on a club, like you still have to deal with the issue of potentially uh, like that the club doesn't save you from toxic flow. Basically, it just gives you more um, precise control of how you're quoting. I mean, yeah, we could talk about toxic flow. Cool, let's do it. So on the toxic flow side, I mean, you there's a couple. I mean, as far as I know, it's just you and Dflow. Dflow, I think, decided to build their own app chain on Cosmos. Uh, but you guys are kind of sticking with the Solana type architecture. Do you feel like in particular there's best practices to mitigate the toxic flow on chain? Mm. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's very tactical things you can do. Um, like I think a lot, you see Drift, Mango, uh, Phoenix, they do things like time and force where 
your order is only valid for a few seconds. So if like the chain goes down and you can't cancel your order, it automatically gets canceled. Like very small things like that. Um, Oracle pegged orders where like your the, the price of your order is based on the Oracle. So you don't have to like race to update your quotes and stuff. Um, I think that type of stuff is useful. Um, but I guess I think what we're doing at Drift is especially uh, unique where, yeah, just having um, this kind of event-based auction where the taker goes first, this kind of like game theory will play out where it makes it harder for uh, like a sophisticated arbitrager to just like instantly pick you off. Um, and, and it should be friendlier for like your average market maker. And so from, from the consumer side, I mean, that's not familiar with kind of this level of financial engineering. They ultimately get better prices. They're not necessarily paying wider spreads, just more efficient capital efficiency, correct? Yeah, the goal, or, the goal is to get the, your normal user the best prices possible. So like when you enter a trade, what's going to happen is it's going to specify this like auction where like the start price of the auction is really aggressive. Maybe you get filled at like the Oracle price. And then the auction base, the price basically decays and gets worse and worse where it eventually crosses like the, the, uh, the spread of the resting liquidity. So the goal is actually you'll get better fills than what you would do if you just took immediately from resting liquidity because market makers will be able to see like, oh, you're, uh, you know, you're just your average Joe. Like I'm happy to trade with you. And so I'll actually give you a better price. And then what I leave resting on chain is only for people who like really want to get out fast and either like are like a forced buyer seller or maybe, you know, they are like um, a sophisticated arbitrager. So like, I guess what I imagine is going to happen on Solana is you'll see wider spreads, like just for the resting liquidity, but then you'll see like these drift type auctions still get users price improvement. Um, and I think it's inevitable, like with MEV too, it makes it really hard to just leave your liquidity resting on chain unless it's like really expensive to take against it because um i'm going down a rabbit hole but if you're a searcher on Gito and i'm looking at open book and i see that you have like you know you have an ask at like um like 30 dollars for solana for some reason i have information the price about the rocket i'll just bid up on Gito to take your liquidity faster than you can cancel your order um and so like once you add in like searchers and mev into the game it's really hard to leave liquidity resting on chain, like unless you start doing these weird like uh, protocol um, kind of augmentations to, to save it. For, I mean, the people listening that maybe are not familiar with like kind of all the on-chain stuff that ha is happening, do you feel like there's a TradFi equivalent to all of this that has already been figured out? Now it's just, we're kind of porting it over to a blockchain and refiguring out some of the components with the element that the blockchain introduces? Yeah, um, I guess we thought a lot about payment for order flow. Um, I know that sometimes gets bad news in the press, but um, we kind of realized that it created this relationship between traders and market makers that um, sit, seemed pretty symbi um, symbiotic. So I think that's where we see it going, where like your average trader trades on Robinhood. They have a good experience. They like using it. It's fast. They don't really necessarily care about like club or amm they just want to like get in at good prices um and market makers are happy to work in that system 
um, versus like, yeah, market making on chain is like a, like a war zone right now. <laughs> so it's like, and the users end up having a worse experience because the fees are higher, the spreads are larger. So it's like, how can we avoid that? Um, how tight do you think comparatively spreads can be versus kind of a exchange or traditional TradFi? Mm. I guess I think on chain, the spreads will be larger than like a centralized exchange. Like on Bitcoin on a centralized exchange, it could be like one tick, like very tight. But on chain, just because of like the, the MEV stuff, the arbitragers, even like an arbitrager, like on Solana, because the transaction fees are so small, you can like send a transaction and say like, try to pick off this LP. And then if I get a bad price, just revert it. And I paid like sub penny to do that. So it's really asymmetric in the arbitrager's favor. So I think spreads will be larger on chain, but I think with like these payment for order flows, RFQ style models, like your your normal trader could still get filled like around Oracle. And so like they still get the same prices they might get on centralized exchange. Um, so I yeah, I see the world, I see Solana larger spreads, but um, still good fills for your average trader. And it's interesting, I mean, on the equities front, I mean, particularly like in the U.S., it's actually a small subset of the global population that actually can trade equities uh, versus tokens. Like, is really a global market. Uh, you can have tokens be traded anywhere, which I think honestly just unlocks a lot more capital. So I'm interested to see once like capital and these investments or protocols, tokens, uh, these different entities can be bought on chain and the more liquidity that is ultimately able to come online because of it, how it turns out. Yeah, that's definitely, um, I guess the like addressable market is the globe, which is really crazy. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of crypto's like saving grace. <laughs> like <laughs> if it was only the US, the total, the TAM might be a lot smaller, but yeah, I think that's part of what's so encouraging is that it like connects, it's like globalized. So everyone's operating on the same chain. In terms of kind of building specifically on the Solana architecture, I mean, there's a couple different things that Solana recently did to make the network more performant, but there's still some constraints, whether that being kind of the compute limits, uh, bandwidth, or even state contentions. Solana just launched uh, this year localized fee markets. Can you talk kind of, even though Solana is very high performance, building within that constraints for Drift? Yeah, that's a good question. It's going to keep me down a rabbit hole. But um, yeah, so uh, Solana, one thing is the like the write lock contention, the state contention is um, if you have multiple people trying to write to the, the same piece of state, uh, they're going to have to fight for it, which is what the priority fees try to solve. Um, Drift basically tries to minimize how often you have. Uh, um, so like... Uh, in a t traditional AMM, every order is touching the AMM. So you're always going to have write lock contention with anyone else touching the AMM. Um, or in a club, for example, every time someone places an order, you have write lock contention with uh, other people placing an order. In Drift, we actually store each user's orders in separate accounts. So if one market maker is just wants to spam mar uh, their orders to like stay up to date, they're not going to have any write lock contention with another market maker. Um, and basically we did that because we were like, okay, if we want to like keep scaling out the number of market makers, it'll be a lot easier if they're not competing with each other. So that already kind of helps with the, um, right lock contention. The only time two traders in a market 
have right lock contention is if they're doing a trade. Um, and in finance, like the order to like uh, order to trade ratio is like a hundred to one. Okay. So you can get way more throughput if you're not if orders don't have right lock contention. So that's one of the main things that we worked on. It makes our system a little quirky relative to others, but I think uh, there's a good chance it'll it'll scale well because of that. That's super unique. And for the other people, I mean, most blockchains are single threaded, just meaning every transaction has to be executed one after another. Solana is unique because I believe it's the first blockchain that enabled parallelism. So if you're writing to an account that no one else is writing, those can be executed simultaneously. When they are executed simultaneously, it's just a lot more throughput. And so to that point, being able to specify individual accounts for people to trade upon uh, does increase the throughput dramatically. How do you feel like for the phoenixes of the world, uh, the AMMs of the world on Solana or paralyzed chains, if they don't deal with that like right lock contention, is that how's how's that going to work for them? Uh, yeah. Just going to be higher to get priority access to the chain. Yeah, I think the bet there is the priority fees that like you'll use the priority fees to uh, adjudicate that. So like if it's a time of like low excitement, maybe your priority fees are lower, and then. If things start heating up, like prices are moving really crazy, everyone has to just use priority fees and do it intelligently. Um, That'll be interesting. Yeah, it's. I think um, there's something to be said about the club. Like it's very like everything is. There's one account. Everything's stored in there. There's great price time priority. Like there's a reason why the club maxis love it. But um, I think uh, like I don't. I don't think it's just like. Once you have a club, you're just going to scale this thing to so many users on top of Solana. You're probably going to hit some um, bottlenecks. I don't know how many users or how many transactions, but definitely something for Drift that uh, we think about is just like, you know, we want to serve users right now and not be like maximalist about certain certain subsystem designs, like whether to use a club or the AMM. We just want as many users as possible, like interacting in like a permissionless setting. So. That's why we went with this more unorthodox approach, which we call uh, the decentralized limit order book. I like it. And so on the bandwidth side, I think Solana also has, uh, I mean, a lot of bandwidth, but they kind of enforce it via compute limits. Uh, can you talk about bandwidth or compute limits or how they're intertwined? Yeah. So the compute limits come with, um, are kind of related to the uh, write lock contention where a compute limit is enforced at like, the account level where in a certain block only uh, an account can only have a certain amount of compute units writing to it. So I don't remember the exact number. It might be like 10 million. Um, and the max in a transaction is like uh, 1.4 million, but it's usually a lot smaller. Um, so again, it's like it kind of if you base the more you can parallelize your write lock um, contention, the less likely you're going to run into like that compute unit limit. Um, so I think on that side, like us just, or Drift, um, being really careful about account design kind of helps with that a bunch. On the bandwidth side, uh, um, more so how it has to do with RPCs, there's just a lot of, like you got to think intelligently about kind of how you index, how you're going to fetch the accounts you need on the client side. So for Drift, like on-chain, um, it basically keeps up to date whether a user has a position and whether they have an order. And based on that, the client can just um, decide whether they want to fetch all the users that have a position. That would be something like for a liquidator, or if it just wants to fetch users which um, have an order, 
or even whether it just wants to listen to updates for users that are opening up uh, market orders. And so like, um, you gotta be kind of clever to think about like, okay, yeah, how much, um, how much data do I have to fetch from the RPCs and how can I do it really fast so that everything is like event-based happening quickly um, so that like market, pay, market makers can compete in an auction and users can get filled really quickly. So from all that, I mean, being event-based, like does Solana today, do you butt up against the bandwidth limitations or where do you find either the restrictions or either pros that kind of Solana offers? Yeah, um, I think the most annoying thing for us on the, like, the client side has been because uh, all the orders for users are stored in different accounts. We have to fetch like pretend, like Initially, we were just fetching all the user accounts, and there was like thousands of them, which is just like a huge headache. So there's a lot of work to be done to make it so like to get all the relevant information um, from the RPC quickly is uh, like you're you're fetching the minimum amount of user accounts to get all the orders you need. Uh, so this is like very tactical, but like working with the RPCs on Solana is probably one of the, like the hardest like developer experiences, just because like um, there's it's just like a shit ton of data. Yeah, <laughs> so, there's a lot. Uh, it is a lot of data. On the RPC side, do you have you guys gone through like different vendors? What What are some of your learnings from that? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, well, we use two vendors, and like basically the bots that like the Drift contributors run are kind of like just public good versions of the bots, like Liquidator, Fillers, etc. And we'll run like two versions of everything. So <laughs> just like things go down in the RPC side, like. Um, just kind of randomly, just because the network moves so fast, people are always upgrading things. But we've we, right now we work with uh, RPC Pool or Trident and uh, Helios, and for the most part, it's been really good. Um, I think the main thing is like you have to like really understand like all the RPC methods, what they mean, and like think about what data you can add to your um, your program accounts so that like you can in index them and fetch them quickly. Like you kind of have to really, when you when you create your on-chain accounts, like how is the client side going to get these in a way that like minimizes bandwidth? Um, it's kind of something we had to learn over time and you kind of need to do if you want to keep scaling the number of users using your protocol. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, you guys truly are on the pioneers. I mean, just being early to the protocol and of itself, but also figuring out how to scale your application within the constraints of the architecture design. Yeah, like we're definitely pushing up against like the boundaries. I think Drift is like the protocol. Users using the protocol that like pay the most fees and priority fees. So like, yeah, we're doing a lot. It's a, it's a lot of like you try something, you see how it goes, and then you just keep optimizing things, squeezing things out, like reducing unnecessary transactions, making RPCs more efficient. So um, I'm uh, reading this book called like Chip Wars, where it talks about like the evolution of semiconductors and like how they actually achieve Moore's law. It wasn't like just like sexy research breakthrough over and over again. It was just like grinding out the engineering. Blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think developing DeFi protocols is more like that. It's like okay, you get to you know a certain amount of active users. Right now, there's two thousand people with open positions on Drift. They get to ten thousand. We just like got it. Like the contributors just keep grinding and squeezing out efficiency. And I think uh, I think Solana is the best place to do that right now. What would it take you to kind of be able to support a hundred thousand or a million or ten million? <laughs> I, I know like the industry in my opinion is still relatively small. 
and we really need to scale, do you feel like, is that just the architecture design itself, like being able to have more throughput, such as Fire Dancer? Is it just the blood, sweat, and tears of the application engineers kind of learning what works and what doesn't work and best practices? Yeah, I guess I think, yeah, I think getting the validator to be like the underlying like throughput there isn't maxing out is important. Um, protocol level, like making sure the right lock contention and the compute unit, compute unit uh, limits are all respected and like really optimized. And I think where actually a lot of the difficulty comes is probably at the RPC level. Like how do you have all these people using and interacting with it? Like when there's so many users, like that's actually where a lot of like, you know, web two scaling challenges come up. Like you have so many people reading data, interacting with it. How do you handle that? And like the validator really just handles like the right portion of it. And right now a lot of DeFi teams rely on like um, kind of paying like a generic RPC provider. I think to get to like, you know, a hundred thousand users, you DeFi teams would probably need to roll their own RPC type infrastructure that's super tailored to their app. Um, and I think that's how you get. I, I think I saw Anatoly saying like the part that they're doing at labs is much easier than uh, what they're doing or what will need to have, have, have happen on the RPC side. Yeah, I think that's like the hardest part is like getting everyone who needs the data, that data quickly. They're maintaining like up to date views of like the order book, the users, all these things. And when you have if you had 100K users and they're all trading, like that's kind of crazy. So you definitely would need to roll your own infrastructure. And then like, how do you do that? And like still keep it permissionless and whatnot is definitely tricky. But I think that's one of the things you'd have to just grind out and make yeah. work. What are your thoughts in general? Uh, have you looked too much into Fire Dancer and kind of the stuff that uh, the jump team is doing there? Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like I am not as close to that one. Um, I think it's great if like the underlying, I guess, yeah, it increases like the bandwidth, which increases block size, which would probably increase the compute unit limits, um, which then will trickle down into protocols, basically getting more throughput. Um, so on that side, I think it's great that like the underlying right layer is just getting maxed out. Besides that, I don't have a ton of hot takes, I guess. Um, yeah, I tend to like just focus on where the tech is and like really try to like, how do I make it work for users now? Yeah. Not design a system that like could theoretically work if Fire Dancer works well, because who knows how delayed it is and like you might be dead by then. So, <laughs> got a crypto industry, you got to stay on your toes. Yeah, I, yeah. I think if you get, I think if you have, um, I guess, if users trust that the contributors and the brand will build something good then you'll have time to to basically like uh, adopt these changing technologies. So I think like the overly like research oriented people are probably necessary in some like second order consequence, but in terms of like getting, keeping users, it doesn't, it's not, I don't think, uh, it's overhyped. I agree. In terms of, I mean, in general on Solana, uh, it kind of feels like the vibes have been changing. We have gone through a crazy bear market, uh, FTX blew up, we've had <laughs> the Luna crash. I mean, a lot of things, and I think uh, out of the things that just indirectly or directly blew up, Solana kind of took the most backlash out of anything that uh, did not blow up. And I feel like 
right now we're kind of having a little bit of a renaissance. People are calling for DeFi summer uh, 2.0. Any of your thoughts on like current vibes, the renaissance of DeFi on Solana? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think like I mentioned before, like the tech was in a nascent um, form in 2021 and the price way outshot how like much people are using it on chain. And I think right now the, pra- the price way um, like undershot it the other way and the tech has gotten a lot better. And what you can do on Solana is actually really impressive. I think teams like Drift, Mango, um, Phoenix, like Orca, all these teams, you know, uh, Marinade, et cetera, Gito, have built really cool things where if you compare it versus like their peer set on ETH, like maybe the TVL numbers aren't as big, but I think like from a UX and like um, perspective, like definitely competitive and better in some areas. So I think, you know, you, Jeff Bezos like talked about the stock market being like weighing machine versus like, I, I forget the other one, but voting machine. Yeah, exactly. And you just got to trust that if the tech keeps getting better, the price will find an equilibrium there. And I think, yeah, kind of got like a perception liquidation cascade with FTX. Um, but the tech kept getting better and people kept working on it. And I think, uh, yeah, people will come around. To your point on TVL, I feel like it is kind of the last remaining point that the Ethereum crowd is like holding on to saying, look how much liquidity we have. You have zero liquidity. You're dead on arrival. Uh, you're never going to catch up to us. How do you feel like, I mean, obviously the numbers speak for themselves. There is a lot more liquidity on Ethereum. How do you kind of feel like the lower amount of liquidity has either affected drift and the product that you can build either directly or indirectly um i guess the tvl side less but the like liquidity um side definitely more like i think a lot of people will use drift and they'll be like wow this is like great product one of the best DeFi protocols i've ever used liquidity is just not there yet so um definitely definitely makes it harder especially to get people to come over to bridge over to solana and use it um so it's an uphill battle there, but I think it's one of these things where you get super fans, you get people using it, believing in it, and you just slowly kind of have like projects get the next marginal user. And then when that happens, you can get um, one more, like you can get additional market makers and that'll increase uh, the liquidity. I think TVL, it's like, TVL is a very inert metric. Like people, there's money just sitting in a contract there. If you wanted to just be a scammer, like you can make a smart contract that just like is super simple and you put money into it. So I think the TVL is actually not a huge deal. Um, I think that'll come. I think getting the market makers to come over to Seoul is actually probably the bigger deal. And you just got to like convince the next one to come over and keep doing that. And I think, you know, a year from now, the liquidity will be a lot better. Do you feel like, I mean, prior to kind of the FTX blow up, I mean, there were serum uh ftx and almeda were obviously kind of market making for that i believe a couple others do you feel like just with all the chaos with the regulatory uncertainty the market makers were just like we'll come back later or this is not for us right now we'll see how it goes and if this thing is still around or this ecosystem is still around in a year time we'll come back and re-explore yeah i think um I think when every like when shit's hitting the fan, everyone just goes in wealth preservation mode. They just like turn off the bots, like just like don't don't lose anything more. Um, and I think yeah, with like regulatory stuff, just like and uh, 
you know, the, the chain did go down once in January or February, whenever it was. And like, maybe people got spooked. Um, and so what you have to do is just earn their trust back over time. So the longer a Solana network stays up, has no issues with throughput, um, more users keep coming. Like, I think you just like get that excitement and trust back. And then there's all like the thing about like DeFi and crypto is like people are opportunistic. Like if they see something growing, like they will, they'll, they'll move. So it's kind of like always just comes down to like having faith in the tech getting better. And then like basically disseminating the message that like, this is really good. And like backing up with facts and so people will slowly come around. And I think, I think even this little, little bid that like DeFi, soul DeFi is catching will, uh, entice new market makers to come on and that'll be like reflexive right more market makers more liquidity better user experience and it'll it'll kind of spiral so um i think i think we're definitely on like a bit of a precipice of like growth which is cool i agree it feels like somewhere around the bottom uh hopefully that's already passed but i mean and to your point if you don't look at prices the tech has just gotten a lot better and it is reflexive in the sense that kind of the best marketing tools number go up uh in any event i feel like the sentiment especially on twitter uh even in various communities the products are much more mature uh you are able to kind of see a little bit more liquidity with number going up and it gets people excited so i don't know i i do agree i, I think there's some exciting things happening right now and uh, you guys are in a, a great place to take advantage of that. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, just build a good product, build something people love, and then work to build the network effects in a way that, you know, is sustainable. I think that's all you can do. And then you just like trust the process. Trust the process. <laughs> yeah. Out of, uh, outside of DeFi, are there any particular categories or even other ecosystems uh, other categories of applications that you're excited about? Mm, that's interesting. Um, I think, I guess I, I'm very interested in the Cosmos ecosystem. I think Solana monolithic approach is really good for bootstrapping, like uh, a protocol, getting distribution, etc. But I do like something about like bootstrapping your own validator set and like customizing protocol logic in the actual validator is really enticing like you could do like you could do interesting like uh economic models and value capture so that's always alluring um what are your thoughts on l2 oh l2s uh i mean i feel like the biggest advantage of l2s is they already have a network effect but like i'm not excited about like the tech that much honestly yeah, yeah. <laughs> or at I least mean, the ones that exist right now yeah but, i don't even know if they have good network effects because you're kind of like restarting your own L1 community, you fragment the liquidity, you, I guess the nice thing is, I mean, most of the L2s today are EVM compatible. And so you can just kind of like port over your application. But if one L2, if one application that you used to compose with is on one L2 and another is on a different L2, it kind of breaks your app or makes it much more challenging. Yeah. I think like composability in those type of network effects definitely hurts, but I think the like the ETH DeFi people like they are, like they put a lot of money into DeFi protocols. They trade a lot. Like they're definitely they have size. So like, <laughs> like sometimes we'll talk to people like, "Come try out Drift," and they're like, "Eh, I just don't want to like not use MetaMask." And like you're just like, yeah. So I'm like, that's that's like 
the best argument I've heard for ETH building on L2 is like, then, then those people will use you. But besides that, it's not too exciting. To me, that's like, I want to stick with dial-up and what you guys are doing over there and broadband, just not for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I Yeah, I guess I think about it as like, they're harder people. Like, they're not the next person to convince to try it out. So you can't, you can't convince them. You just got to go for the next marginal user. 100%. In terms of, I mean, being a core contributor to Drift, uh, you've seen lots of ups and downs uh, within the Solana market and just even product building yourself. What advice would you give to just like founders or even individuals that are interested in either playing around with the tech or ultimately have aspirations to build something? Hmm, that's a good question. Hmm. I guess I feel like just like stay in the details, like um, always just be double checking things, responding in Discord, like just caring about like what users are saying and uh, just like take feedback and like don't get complacent because that's really the path to like building something great, I think, is responding to feedback, like uh, paying attention to detail, fixing things quickly. Um, I think it's kind of easy to be like into like the high level stuff and like think about like strategy and research ideas, et cetera. But I think what's actually hard and the separation is like day in and day out, um, paying attention to the details and like listening to your users. I fully agree. I mean, I think today it's very easy to get stuck in research mode, uh, even on the application engineering side, because there's so many different rabbit hole. I mean, even things that we discuss with MEV or order flow, uh, different L1s, app chains, different <laughs> architectures. There's a lot of things to, I mean, even figure out to kind of be able to make educated decisions. And then once you get to that point, it's like, all right, do I feel like I have sufficient amount of information to kind of go execute on that? But at the end of the day, none of that really matters to the end user. They just want to have a great product. So there's a lot of things that you ultimately have to balance to one, build a scalable application, but two, build an application that people actually love. That's challenging. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's very tempting on uh, in crypto, especially if you're on crypto Twitter, to want to be, um, to seem like intelligent and up to date and have a hot take on everything. Um, and there's some people that can do that well, but like, that's not gonna, that's not what users really care about. So you gotta be careful when you get into like the nerd sniping games. Cause <laughs> I agree. yeah, like it, not, ideas are cheap until basically they're written in software running in prod until then, like they're not that valuable. I agree. Perfect. Well, maybe we can end on that. Uh, any, any final topics that we missed or uh, didn't touch upon? No, nothing on my mind. Cool. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, really excited that we got to do this in person. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and look forward to having you back on sometime and hopefully uh, Solana DeFi 2.0 Renaissance. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Thank you.